So this is part two to a three-part series that I uh, started, well, three weeks ago. Um, it should be up. And uh, the main point of this series, what the Lord laid on my heart, was loving your neighbor as being a part of loving God. Um, Matthew twenty two thirty six through 40 is the main, main crux of this idea here. It says, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Okay, recognize he's asking for one great commandment, okay? And he said to, the, to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. He gave two answers to question for one. And that's because the second is wrapped up in the first. They're inextricably intertwined and connected to each other. Josiah talked today about how God loves us. Um, one of the ways he loves us is through our brothers. That's the key way he loves us, practically. Um. You know, we talk about under, understanding love in an experiential way. I understood God in a way more experiential way the second I started dating Christiana. Um, it was a, an experience of, God, you really do want to bless me. So that's just a plug again to Josiah's message. Then I'll get to some review of what we talked about last week. I think uh, Anvesh said in reference to this, hard preaching leads to soft hearts. So hopefully your hearts are soft enough today that I don't have to preach as hard as I did last time. <laughs> um, the title, Loving God by Loving Your Brother, Receiving Rebuke as a Prerequisite for Giving Rebuke. And we talked about... You know, looking at the log in our own eyes first. You know, the, this log can be pride, bitterness, unforgiveness, ongoing sin that we're not confronting. And we use scripture to see that. Now the key thing here I want to get by is, is not just receiving rebuke as a prerequisite to giving rebuke. I guess I'd rephrase it today in context of this message as receiving love from your brothers as a prerequisite to, to loving your brothers, okay? Or experiencing God's love even. So we need to know how to receive love. You can equate those two things in your mind, okay? Of receiving rebuke, reproof, encouragement. All that you get from a brother or sister in Christ in your church is a way they love you. In, the way, in a way that God loves you. So our outline for today, we're going to look at three things. Um, we're going to look at some necessary tools, and I'll go through those really quickly, so pay attention. Um, three necessary tools. The first one's a Christocentric hermeneutic. If you don't know that, look it up, uh, and I'll describe it a little bit more. Um, it's really easy. Christ, center, hermeneutic's just how we see things, how we interpret the word. We're going to look at how we should read parables. 
and we're going to look at how to see themes in Scripture. Then we're going to use all of those tools to see and diagnose, analyze, understand, comprehend, um, know Christ as our elder brother and a shepherd, and how those are tied together. And then, using a Christocentric hermeneutic, we look at Christ first, and then we look at ourselves as imitators of Christ. So, as promised, you can still look this up if you want. Um, Christocentric hermeneutic, all of scripture speaks to Christ firstly, okay? If you're reading a story about David and Goliath, guess who's, who David is? Christ. Christ, right? And we imitate Christ. We're not there, uh, you know, we're not the hero of the story. We imitate the hero of the story. We're the kid dressed up on Halloween as our favorite superhero. <laughs> that's, what, that's how you read scripture. You, you devour scripture and see who Christ is like and pursue that. So we're going to look at that first. And then speaks to us as imitators. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Okay, Paul was not, he didn't start a bunch of churches because he figured out the best, most effective way to start churches based on data and having a cool worship band and a smoke machine or something like that. He imitated Christ and that's how he was able to start churches. So the next one's reading parables. I got a lot of this um, from a book I'm reading right now called The Four, Survey of the Gospels by Peter Lightheart. Um, excellent book. Please read it <laughs> if you have the chance. Um, but it's, when we read parables, we need to read them, again, Christocentrically. What was Christ going through and experiencing during these parables? We need to know the context. They're not some general teachings about uh, what it is to be good or what it is to evangelize or, uh, you know, those are all great things and great, uh, great byproducts of the fact that these are written down for us to read. But the first and foremost, Christ was speaking to those around him. He was speaking to the Pharisees. He's speaking to people who are supposed to be loving their brothers and sisters. And so Jesus, just like uh, you can insert Jesus for the hero, you can insert his enemies for the bad people in the parables. Okay? And so if he's inserting his enemies into a, the bad people in the parables, you can assume that he doesn't want you to be like those people. <laughs> Okay, now this is really important because it divides, like the intention of Christ speaking in parables was to create a division between two sets of people. People that were unwilling to hear them because it embarrassed them, because it showed them their heart and they didn't want to see their hearts. And then it showed people who wanted to read them, people who wanted to know their own hearts and how they need to change. 
Christ spoke in parables to divide. So, we're going to be on one side or the other today. Hopefully you hear these parables and you uh, consider them. And uh, talking about themes here, um, the best I could do for like I can explain, themes are ideas that, pictures, imagery, ideas that follow through all of Scripture. And so if you want to understand them appropriately, you need to understand all of Scripture. You know, that's why we emphasize reading the whole Bible as quickly as possible when you become a Christian, is so that the next time through you read it, things pop off the page to you. Like that, that you know, I tell people I'm on my third way through right now, and uh, this time around it's totally different than the first two. Totally different. Things are jumping off the page. That's another part of that's like memorizing scripture, having it stored up. So when you read a, a verse about, you know, we reference uh, John Gray's message here about the vine. When you read a verse about a vine, you should have dozens of verses about vines and what else God has said about them coming to mind. So I'd recommend if you want to know, understand more about themes, listen to John Gray's message under sermon of the week. Um, it's, He's had two messages in one. It's the second message. And then Stephen spoke about the unshakable kingdom last Sunday, and it was a wonderful uh, work of exegesis. It was a wonderful use of seeing themes and understanding Scripture using Scripture. If you want to know how to interpret God's Word, use God's Word. It's not just up to men to interpret God's Word. God already interpreted it. That's why we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. <laughs> who, who do you think, like, most of the New Testament is just references to the Old Testament. I don't know if there's this picture going around. I don't know if anyone's seen it of all the books of the Bible lined up chronologically or how you see them in, in, in the Bible. And it has a line for every time it references each other. And it's insane. It's just, it looks like a rainbow. It's beautiful. So we're going to get into two passages here. We're going to look at, now that we have these tools, we're going to read these passages, and then we're going to apply the tools, okay? Christ as our elder brother and shepherd. First, we're going to talk about him as a shepherd. Luke 15, 1 through 7 even gives you context so that you know he's talking to Pharisees and scribes. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near Jesus to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to complain, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has, if he has a hundred sheep, and has lost one of them, does not leave the other ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he, had, when he has found it, he puts it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found the sheep that was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. All right, so that, 
Keep that in the back of your mind, and we'll go back to it and diagnose it a little bit, analyze it. Now, the prodigal son. You got a taste of this earlier. I'm going to read the whole thing. Luke 15, 11 through 32. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my estate that is coming to me. And so he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the young son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered his estate in wild living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began doing without. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, and he sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to have his fill of the cart carob pods that the pigs were eating, and no one was giving him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired laborers have more than enough bread, but I am dying here from hunger? I will set out to go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired laborers. So he went out, he set out and came to his father, but when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, Bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, slaughter it and let's eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead. He has come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to celebrate. Now this older son was in the field and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to to him, Your brother has come and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years... I've been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours and yet you never gave me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured his wealth with prostitutes and you slaughtered the fattened calf for him and he said to him, son, You have always been with me. And all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. Because this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. So first thing we're going to do is look at themes. All right. So first Christocentric, we're looking at these verses thinking about Christ. Okay. Um, how can he be juxtaposed or seen against the backdrop of these Pharisees? He's saying in these verses, these Pharisees are, is the older brother. 
who thinks they've fulfilled the Father's law their whole lives, but really they're like, yeah, their heart isn't with their father, their heart's with their inheritance. And the same with the lost sheep, he's saying, don't you get these sinners? Like, they've repented, they're eating with me, they are our family. They're not far off still doing tax collecting and prostitution, they're with me. They've come home, they've been found. Why aren't you rejoicing with me? What are you What are you doing? is what he's saying to these Pharisees and scribes. And they don't want to hear it because they know if they hear it, that means they're not doing their job as the eyes of the nation of Israel. They're not being good brothers. And we'll see what kind of brothers they're being like. So if we look through scripture, there's two things I want to bring about, out about brothers. Is, is one, a sense of responsibility to your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a theme throughout scripture. The most important relationship in that time was to your brothers and sisters. This relationship during that time was more important than your relationship with a spouse, a child, or even a father. This was your closest friend. And this is hard for us to get in our culture because you know, we, we don't have close relationships with our siblings. We are... Self-centered, we, uh, you know, we don't value that relationship or take responsibility for what happens to our brothers and sisters. But if you get anything from today, get that you should, you should care. You are your brother and sister's keeper. You are. Christ knew that. Christ was saying, you Pharisees and scribes, you are your brothers and sisters' keepers. So we're going to look at a bad example, Cain and Abel. That's just one to bring to mind. Think about that. The first guy to say, am I my brother's, and keep, my brother's keeper? Killed his brother. <laughs> That's not a good example to follow. <laughs> All right? That's a theme of how not to be a good brother. Then we look at Judah and Benjamin, and I've got this section pulled out for you. So the context of this is his brothers, uh, Jacob's sons, went to visit Egypt because they're in a famine and needed grain. Joseph was there. He hasn't revealed himself to them. And he, he said, leave a brother behind and bring your youngest brother to me. This younger brother is, is Jacob, the father's most favored son. Like, flat out, like, favorite son, next to Joseph, who he thought is dead. <laughs> He's like, I'm about to lose my other favorite son. And that's it. But Judah says to his father, because you know, he, he's looking out for his family and his brother, saying, we need this grain. We, let us take the younger brother and get grain for us, because if we don't, we're going to die. And I don't want to see my brothers die. And he goes even further than this, and takes responsibility for Benjamin's life, the youngest brother, into his own hands. He says to his father, Israel, Israel's Jacob, send the boy with me and we will rise and go so that we may live and not die. We as well as you and our little ones. My whole family will die if I don't go. I myself 
will take responsibility for him. You may, de- you may demand him back from me. If I do not bring him back to you and present him to you, then you can let me take the blame forever. So we read this and we think of Christ. This is a good picture of what a brother should be. Christ said to God, he pleaded for us on the cross. He said, God forgive them, they know not what they do. He pleads for us now in heaven at the right hand of God. Think about that. He is constantly pleading for you because he sees you as his responsibility. His life for yours. He's a good brother. So then we have an inheritance theme, and again, we've got a couple bad examples. All right, so this is another picture we've lost in our time is an idea of getting an inheritance from our parents because we are a nation of sluggards who squander what we have and have no, no, no desire to support the next generations, no desire or love towards our children. Um, and any nation who, we're a nation who our inheritance is abortion. Our inheritance is death. That's what we leave for our children, is death. I'm sure a lot of us enjoyed our stimulus checks and whatever uh, you spend it on. I know some people spend it on getting new furniture or, you know, saving it or buying a new car or something. I don't know. You're stealing from your children. The debt that we have no hope of paying off as a nation is now our children's 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 children's, and they're going to pay the price. And that's the inheritance we've left. But in the in the context that Jesus, the, the culture that Jesus is speaking to, the, where the theme through scripture is, is fathers leave an inheritance for their children. They set them up. You know, I do know some people who their parents were good with money, wise, and loved their children and left them quite a good inheritance. You know, we joke about Trump saying like, I only had a million dollars, you know, like to start my business for my father. Well, his dad left him an inheritance. That's not something that we should be like, you shouldn't have an inheritance. We should be saying to our fathers, you need to leave us an inheritance like you did for Trump. (laughs) You know, like your own fathers have robbed you. You shouldn't be mad at someone else's father for being a good father or that someone got ahead. You should be mad at your own father (laughs) because he didn't give you that opportunity. And you better not be that to your children. You better... Give your children an opportunity. That's why we work hard. Amen. And so that's, that's an aside for you, no extra charge. Uh, <laughs> an inheritance was shared between siblings. And here you see Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau fighting over it. Right? Um, it was a race to see who was the one that was going to get the bulk of it. Jacob went as far as deceiving his father. Now, you can debate for hours whether that was righteous or unrighteous. That's up to you, right? But I know Christ probably would have worked out a deal where he got the inheritance and still made sure Esau was good and set. 
and was covered. He would have lavished Esau. Now we're going to look at Christ as a brother. Uh, This is the tying it all together. We looked at these themes of brothers in scripture and themes of inheritance in scripture and here's just a proof that Christ calls us his brother. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God and if children's and if children heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Another word for heir is the guy that's going to get the inheritance from the dad. Okay. Um, A while ago, we looked at Esther and her coming into the king's courtroom uh, to speak to him. And he shows her favor and says, what do you want anything up to half the kingdom? He was saying we're co-heirs. Okay. Um, Christ came down and he said, I'm the rightful heir. You've taken your inheritance and squandered it on sin. And I'm here to share what's left of my inheritance with you. All of it. That's a good brother. Um... It's like, yeah, I'll I'll continue. We were running out of time. If you've got brothers, you know what this is like. The last thing you want to do is share with them. (laughs) Okay? It's like, it's not my fault you broke your toy. Why should I share mine with you? You know, it's not my fault I spent all my money, like, (laughs) or spent all your money. Like, you you squandered it. I I was good with my money. Why are you coming to me? But a good brother goes and bails out his, his, his brother who squandered his money. So the themes of shepherds. Um, there's some verses here. Not all of them are listed. This is a... Uh, I recommend, while you're doing the Josiah sermon review twice, do a scripture study on shepherds, okay? You do the legwork on this one and prove me wrong or prove me right. These are some things that I saw in scripture that shepherds are, okay? As a theme, I went through scripture and tried to see what does God say about shepherds, okay? Because he's got this parable What do they understand about the parable? The Pharisees have read all the Old Testament. They know what God says about shepherds. They should have these scriptures come into their mind. So it's really easy. Go into Google and say, verses about shepherds, and read them. You'll see that shepherds protect, they lead, they stand in for. I mean, like, if a bear's coming, they're going to say, I'm going to be in between them and this bear. Okay, They feed them. They live amongst them. They go after them. And if you want a good place to start, Psalm 23. It has like almost all of these subjects there. Okay, 
a key point I want to get through here is a shepherd was not a luxurious job. If you were a shepherd, you did not own the sheep. <laughs> okay, this was a job where you would go into town maybe and gather everyone's sheep up and go out and you're living amongst the sheep. You were, you were smelling their smells. <laughs> you were eating the same places they were eating. You were probably drinking the same water they were drinking. <laughs> Not downstream of them, obviously. <laughs> You're facing the same dangers they were facing. You lived life with these sheep. And it was looked down on by everyone else. David is a good example of this. David was the least favorite of his father's sons, the youngest, and he wasn't good enough to fight for Israel. At least that's what his brothers and his dad thought. He wasn't good enough to present before Samuel. All he was good for was being a shepherd, hanging out with the dumb sheep. <laughs> So he, you could say he was like a sheep himself, but the one that had the, the sense to lead and protect, the one that took responsibility. A sheep has never taken an ounce of responsibility in its life, even for itself. There's a really funny cartoon I watched once that, that got this idea of how dumb sheep were. And the sheep, you know, it's one of the ones where they talk and all that stuff. But the sheep was like this, you know, cute thing. And it was just walked out, like the fence knocked down accidentally. And he just walks out. And then he's walking, walking, walking across this tree that's overhanging a cliff. No idea what he's doing. And he falls, falls on a cliff edge. Still, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just walking through life here. That's, that's what sheep are, right? But the shepherd's like, I'll take all the, all the conditions you live in and all of the responsibility. So just to prove that Christ thinks he's a shepherd, I am the good shepherd. There you go, guys. <laughs> the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's saying that if a bear or a lion or a tiger, oh my, comes <laughs> and is ready to attack. You know, one of the a funny joke about like if you're in danger, you don't have to be the fastest one, you just can't be the slowest one. Okay? <laughs> a shepherd doesn't think that way. There's hundreds of slower people behind him <laughs> that have no idea they're even in danger. And he doesn't say, well... I've got a good head start. <laughs> he says, I'll share my inheritance, the, my good common sense, my inheritance that they've squandered on being sheep, and I'll stand in for them. I'll fight for them. I'll spend my inheritance on them. I'll risk my life for them. I'll lay down my life for them. Even though they're counted as animals, beasts, and unworthy. The, their sole purpose in life is to be slaughtered. And he says, I'll stand in for them so that they are slaughtered at the appropriate time. <laughs> <laughs> but because he loves them, he lives life with them. 
So a brother and a shepherd are very similar things, and that's why they're in the same chapter here. Luke is, right? I mean, Christ put them, he spoke them when he spoke them in the same context, okay? There's nothing in between uh, Luke 11 and Luke 7 that says he's talking to someone else. There's, it's in the same breath, the same context he's saying this to them. Here's another verse to encourage you. We know love by this, God's love for us in an experiential way that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay our lives down for the brothers and sisters around us. So we're getting to the part where we take this from this being about Christ to us being imitators of Christ, okay? It doesn't get any clearer than this. He loved us and laid down his life for us. So if we love our brothers, if we love him, we lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That doesn't mean go and jump in front of a car for them. Maybe. That's a rare occurrence. But it does mean staying up a little longer because you need to encourage them. It does mean giving your, your Saturday up for them to help them move. It does mean saying, hey, where were you today on Sunday? We missed you at church. Why weren't you there? Maybe you should be there. Maybe you should make it a priority. That's love. Love's having a hard conversation. I never thought uh, how difficult that would be to have hard conversations with people because I was always considered myself the one that needed to have hard conversations with themselves, you know, other people to have hard conversations with me. Um, it's hard. You're, you're risking communion with your brothers and sisters. We share an inheritance and, and every time we, we choose to speak to a brother or sister in love, we are giving up our soul piece of the pie, so to speak. We're saying, I'm willing to share what God's given me with you. It's saying, I will help carry your burdens and help you take them to the Lord. I'll get in between you and danger I'll, I'll help pay, I'll give you a loan, I'll help pay for your car that you wrecked. <laughs> you know, it, a tithe is a, an open declaration to God and everyone else that you're taking responsibility for your brothers and sisters. Um... A good example of this, I, I, it was really where the rubber hit the road for me in context of GCF. I think everyone knows where the story's going. <laughs> I was driving some students from Cedarville to church one Sunday morning in the church van, which is, by the way, 
It's not the church, it's the church van, but it's only that because Greg and Catherine bought it for the church. Okay. Um, they use it, it's at their house, so they, they've got other uses for it than just using it for the church. But they thought, should I get like a Porsche or should I get a town and country van? <laughs> well, what are we going to use it for? Can we love our brothers and sisters with the Porsche? If that sisters, <laughs> if that brother and sister is only Greg and Catherine, then they're they're having a good time. But it leaves us out, right? <laughs> so I'm driving this car, and I'm pointing out to them, I'm like, "That's that's Greg's house. He's the pastor." And accident, right? I freaked out. By the way, they all got to service on time. I'd like to point that out. <laughs> I didn't, but they did. <laughs> um, and I was greeted with love from Greg and Catherine, who said, we're going to cover the deductible, which at that time, I was a very poor college student. <laughs> very poor, okay? Um, I needed that love. And, I, you know, I had parents back home who would have gladly said, you know, we'll help you pay the deductible to Greg and Catherine. I was covered because I have family that loves me so much, but I, I have another family that loves me that much too. And they, as brothers and sisters, covered that deductible for me and said, just clean it out for us, you know? It was great. Really practical way of loving me. So we can do that for others. If you're not concerned about the debt you're in, if you're not concerned about where you are financially or emotionally or with the Lord, um, if you're in a bad spot, it's not just your life, your choice. You're robbing your brothers and sisters of an opportunity for you to be generous to them. Okay? Being being where the Lord wants you in every aspect of life opens an opportunity for you to be generous. We, I want to go back to this older brother thing here. I said at, at his heart, he wasn't concerned about his father when he said, I'm doing what you did. He's saying, I don't want to share my inheritance. This son of yours He's breaking the tie of family and saying, not my brother, your son has squandered his inheritance and now he's coming back in that fattened calf that is a part of my inheritance because there, you know, he was the only other son. Whatever was left of the father's was his. So when they took that fattened calf, they took a piece of his inheritance and he said, hold up, What? I did everything I was supposed to. That shouldn't be our hearts. Our hearts should be, I did everything I was supposed to so that when my brother or sister comes back after, after not thinking about it, after squandering what they had, I can share my, the rest of my inheritance with them. So if you want another reason to take spiritual growth seriously in every aspect of our lives, um, of emotional growth, spiritual growth, uh, 
study, knowing things, you know, uh, of relational growth, being able to have a conversation so that a brother or sister feels open to come talk to you. Being financially stable, being uh, in a location where they're close enough to help you or where you're close enough to help them. It's all, you're not thinking about yourself anymore. You don't belong to yourself. It's not a personal relationship with Christ. You belong to Christ. You belong to God's people. When God, when God redeemed you, he didn't redeem you to himself solely. He redeemed you to his people. Him and his people are one in his mind. Okay, so when he redeems you, he doesn't redeem you to go live your best life now or to try and do your best job of following the Lord. You have responsibility to each and every person sitting around you right now and the churches surrounding you to love them to love on them, to be good brothers and sisters, to take responsibility, to share your inheritance, to shepherd them, to protect them, to, you know, to lead them, stand in for them, feed them, live amongst them, and go after them. So this story, uh, I'm wrapping up here. Uh, Anvesh brought this up to me a few weeks ago, and I was like, changed my whole paradigm of how I've read this forever because I wasn't reading Christocentric. The older brother didn't do what he was supposed to do. It was not the father's job to go after the younger brother. If you're reading it in the context of the shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one, the older brother shouldn't have just been happy when his younger brother came home. He should have been... He should have been chasing him down to a different country. He should have condescended, stepped down from his throne, lowered himself to go amongst the pigs and the filth and the pagan nations and go after his younger brother. And, and a, a context I want to get across here is, is this, we often take these two sections of scriptures and we think of them as like an evangelistic thing, like let's go out and preach the gospel to people. These are, he's talking about people that are already Christians. This is not a conversion, let's go convert some people who are lost. This is a let's go help the brothers who are here now and rejoice that they've come back. Okay? The brother was that took his inheritance and left was a brother. <laughs> and that's like, I just want to drive home, like the reason this is the second part in the series is the first is like, consider yourselves and how you're allowing yourself to be loved. The next part, this part is why you need to love. I want to burden you, lump coals on your head to think I have a responsibility to my brothers and sisters. I need to share everything that's mine with them. I'm ready to lay down my life for them. I'm ready to pick up and move to be close to them so that I can love on them. I need to be financially stable so I can love on them. I need to have a clean house so I can invite them in and have dinner with them. 
I need to be, I need to live healthy so that I live longer so that I can love more people. Everything you do is all about loving others because God loved us first. Every choice you make is about loving your brothers and sisters, your most important relationship. Christiana is first to me a sister in Christ and then my wife. In the times where I feel like should I like should I do this for her? First I think, well, she's a sister in Christ. That's more important. In heaven I'm going to have brothers and sisters. I'm not going to be married in heaven. So I want you to be like really encouraged. This is a cool thing to see Christ did this for us, and it's a cool thing that we've been called to. So, so just next week I'll tell you how to, okay? Or not next week. Next time I preach, I'll tell you how to. So pay attention for that. And uh, see if I'm missing anything. I'll read some verses, some more. I'll finish these last verses of us being called to this as well. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds, not abandoning our meeting, own meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek what is good for one another and for all people. I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So love each other today and tomorrow and the rest of your days in practical ways, in impractical ways, in every way you can think of. The ways God loves us, love your brothers and sisters. You have a responsibility to them to do ministry, to clean the bathrooms at the church, to take out the trash, to cook meals, to um, even evangelism is the way you love your brothers and sisters. Everything God, every reading the Bible is a way to love your brothers and sisters. Okay, I just, you got to think in this context, who am I doing this for? Am I doing this for me, for God, or for my brothers and sisters. Because if you're doing it for God, you better be doing it for your brothers and sisters too because it's the same family. Okay? The father said, all that is mine is yours. <laughs> he said, that brother that you said is your son, he's your brother. <laughs> he's yours too. <laughs> he's a part of that inheritance I have for you is welcoming him in the responsibility to go after him is a part of your inheritance so let's close in prayer lord i thank you so much that uh you are you sent your son as a good brother and a good shepherd i thank you that he accomplished his work of laying down his life for us in so many ways he laid down his life for us lord I pray that our hearts would be burdened, but also encouraged by this call to action. Because to consider us your own is to be jealous for us. 
We know that as you call us to love each other, others are called to love us. That our needs will be met and that we'll have the honor and privilege of sharing in Christ's inheritance of meeting others' needs as well. I pray you would bring to mind scriptures, help us to see this in your word and to have practical ideas about how to love each other. That we would no longer be consumers in a church, but responsible brothers and sisters who have ownership in your family, Lord. I pray that none of us would continue just sitting in a pew thinking that's all we owe you, God. We owe you so much more. We owe your family so much more. We owe each other so much more. Please burden us with responsibility and let us understand what it means to give your inheritance away to others, to share your inheritance. Because you've got enough to go around. Thank you, Lord. We lift your name up in high regard and glorify it, magnify it, praise you, Lord, worship you for your goodness to us. Be with us as we go from here. In Jesus' name, amen.